Welcome to another episode of Anecdotally Speaking, the podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, I'm Sean Callahan, And hi, I'm Mark Shank. And I know that it's your turn to share the story, but I just wanted to let you know something that happened yesterday. Uh, so I've just arrived home from Perth on the Red Eye, and I was in working with the leadership team yesterday, helping them learn how to tell their strategic story. And as part of it, we were, we were talking about connection stories, and one of the participants had talked about how he grew up in Peru and it was a pretty Spartan life. They had a roof over their heads, but it was a pretty tough life and they, they didn't have a lot. And then when he was 12, they moved to Australia and it was like a different, a completely different world full of opportunity. And he said, I always remind myself of that and I remind my kids also, always re- remember how good we've got it. After we'd uh, done the exercise on spotting stories, I, I was talking to him and I said, you know how you could really bring that story to life is just to add a moment. Like what was a moment when you came to Australia and you realized, you know, just how good it was or, you know, how different it was. And I said, look, for example, just like think of the first time that maybe you, the first time you tried ice cream, for example, you walked into a milk bar and, and there's all these ice creams. And he just looked at me and he said, Mark, it was Peru. It wasn't bloody Ethiopia. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you gotta you gotta pick your country well, don't you? <laughs> indeed, indeed. But uh, I'll be using that as part of my comedy routine in the future. Right, right. It sounds like a good one. You know, uh, today's story is one that I actually heard on This American Life. There's some great podcasts out there, by the way, in terms of podcasts which are just filled with stories. And This American Life is right up there. You know, you need if you want to listen to stories. In fact, they say. If, you're a, if you want to be a good writer, you need to be a good reader. But I reckon if you want to be a good storyteller, you need to be a good story listener. You need to listen to lots and lots of stories. Of course, this is what this podcast is about. So uh, you're in the right place, right? Absolutely. The setting for this story is Chicago. It's the late 1970s. This is sort of very similar to my own upbringing, actually. The late 1970s primary school setting. But in this case, it's a a place called South Shore in Chicago. And over the last number of decades leading into the late 1970s, you had this uh, movement of more black families into the area of South Shore. It used to be kind of a fancy white area of of Chicago and had this quite big change, right? But one of the things uh, that was left behind were all the, I guess, artefacts of, uh, you know, wealthy white living, I guess, golf courses and mansions and fancy churches and great schools, etc. And in one of the Catholic schools, big Catholic area, one of the big Catholic schools, uh, there was a really standout principal, a lady called Sister Rosemary Brennan. And Sister Rosemary Brennan had a neighbourhood. She was Irish herself, you know, sort of short. Red white. hair? Oh, yeah, the classic Irish uh, sort of look, you know, sort of uh, petite sort of woman. Uh, she didn't wear the habit. You know, she was more of a carry the rosemary beads sort of Catholic, but she was very aware of her neighbourhood. I would say 95% of the kids were black kids, half her teachers were black teachers, and she was one of those principals that just knew everyone, right? She knew all the names of all the kids in the school, and she was like the centre of, you know, a lot of the goings on. It didn't happen unless Sister Brennan was sort of involved in some way. Anyway, on this one particular day, got a class of fourth graders, you know, 10-year-olds, sitting there doing their reading. Uh, It's a reading class, you know, working away with their teacher. And then Sister Rosemary walks in. Now, the kids know that Sister Rosemary just doesn't pop in unless 
either a student's in trouble or a teacher's in trouble, right? So there's an immediate sucking in of breath uh, when she walks in the door. Of course, she stands in front of him and says, uh, you know, good afternoon, boys and girls. And their response in that normal sing-songy voice that you get for kids, good afternoon, Sister Rosemary, you know. And without saying another word, she grabbed one of the chairs, pulled it over to the front of the classroom, and at the very top and middle of the wall was a crucifix with a white Jesus on it. And she got up on her tippy toes on top of that chair and she reached up to the bottom of the crucifix and just lifted it up and pulled that crucifix down and popped it in a bag. And then out of the same bag, she pulls out a new crucifix, pops it up on the wall, and all the kids are just now, they're just absolutely staring at what she's doing. They're not going back to their reading or anything like that. They're totally focused on this. And it's a black crucifix, a black Jesus. You know, he's got a short cropped fro, you know, he's got the wider nose, you know, the, uh, you know, the fuller lips. He's still in that repose of, you know, head down, um, of course, arms out, can't do anything else on a crucifix. And with that, she gets off the chair and she's about to head out. She's not saying a thing. And then one of the kids have sort of plucked up the courage and says to Sister Rosemary, uh, so, so why are you doing that? And she turns to the kids and says, look, we don't really know what Jesus looked like, but it's a pretty good chance that he looked more like you than he looked like me. With that, she just walks out the door. Now, the kids, of course, are just left with this, this idea. All of a sudden, their world has changed, uh, you know, from a one where Jesus was white. She just turned Jesus from white to Jesus is black, right? <laughs> In just one go and walked out the door. So anyway, I heard that on um, uh, This American Life and I just thought it was uh, a great example of you know, what leaders can do. So, Mark, what do you reckon? Shall we have a chat about the, the story? Yeah, let's and... talk about why that story works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what jumps out for you? Well, I guess for me, uh, something that we haven't talked about a lot, we've talked about imagery in, in stories, but this one uh, I, th I thought appealed to multiple senses, like the sing-songy voice, uh, good afternoon, Sister Rosemary. So, And I can kind of picture and I can also hear that because it's very familiar to me. That's what we used to do in school. I know. Isn't it amazing? It sort of just brings you back to those those days so quickly, doesn't it? So, yeah, I, that was that was something that really stood out for me. The other thing for me was just, I guess, it works in a sense of, again, a power. You have someone, you know, a woman with clearly a lot of power in that particular neighbourhood. There's an element there of you're looking into a different world. I, I don't get to see into a Catholic school world very often. I, even though I, I, was, I started off in the world of Catholicism, did all the, the things you need to do, got confirmed, all those sort of bits and pieces as a kid, all that's gone out the window for me now, but some of those things are familiar, but at the same time, you know, I got the feeling that I was in this different world. I also had that, that imagery of a white Jesus looking out over a sea of black faces. Yeah, right. Exactly. I guess that's the real contrast in this story, right? So you have a power structure in the world, you know, particularly in Western countries, especially around religion. These are the big topics of the day, right? And here in one fell swoop, this principle pulls this magic trick of turning white Jesus into black Jesus. I think that's a lovely sense of, of contrast. There's a woman who is a 
very mindful of her audience. She understands her neighborhood. She understands what's important to them. And in some ways, I suspect she would have to give up a little bit too on herself and her her own understanding. I mean, a good Irish Catholic, I would imagine that would be a big decision to make, right? I would think so. I would think so. Yeah. I also think that it kind of indicates that she's very aware of impact. Right. Because she could, have, yeah. she could have done that in uh, you know, a very different way. Have the staff meeting and say to all the teachers, stick up this uh, replacement crucifix, it's just more appropriate. And in the break, they put it up and the kids come in and they, you know, they might not even notice. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure they would have noticed eventually. But anyway, she didn't do that. Yes. She did it herself. Indeed. And she didn't call attention to it other than by doing the act. Yes. She didn't turn around and give a lecture. She just went to walk out. And, uh, yeah, that's so true. It's that sense of ritual, isn't it? So, I mean, the Catholic Church is you know, <laughs> well known for ritual. They understand ritual. And so in some ways it's built into her practice, if you like. But I love the fact that it's a pull strategy. She wasn't going to go and stand up there and give a lecture to these kids about what she was doing. She just did it. And that one little kid asking that brave question, and that gives her an opportunity to say something. But she didn't go overboard on the description, right? It's like this one sentence. One of the things I like about that is the importance of clear messaging. One thing I see leaders do a lot, their message gets lost in a flood of words. Oh, yeah. Right. And so when she was clear on the message she wanted to deliver and she used very few words to deliver it, and that's very impactful. And as I say, the opposite is normally true where you have a really good message. A leader has a really good, important message, but it gets lost in a sea of words. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, good. Good point. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, Anything else we can say about that story? The use of uh, a pull strategy, just amplifying what we're just talking about. So she wasn't trying to push a message at people. She did an action and then waited for people to pull the message to them. I wonder how many classrooms where there was not the question asked. Yeah. and But, you know, I think there's a lovely element there too that, again, sometimes we try to tell stories where we've got everything nailed down, right, where it's, you know, so obvious. But I, I found that some of the stories that really stick with me are the ones that cause me to turn them over in my head a little bit to try to work out for myself, you know, what's going on here. And I can imagine with those kids, you know, they've got this little story unfolding. They see the switch. That'd be something that you'd be turning over in your mind. If she didn't get up and give that little extra blurb, that would be something they would be really turning over and trying to work out what's going on. I think, I think there's a lot of merit in that. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. So where would we use this story? What sort of circumstance would this be a useful resource well, for me, I would use it definitely just to help leaders understand, especially when you ha- understand that they need to lead through their own actions, especially when there's something really important, like an important change. How often have you seen this big change that's happening and then they delegate the big ritualized act, they're delegating it to other people? No, you can't do that. They would have taken that principle quite some time to walk around every classroom, get up on the chair, more or less repeat that process, probably 30, 40 classrooms in that school, right? That's a whole day of doing that. And I'm also thinking that uh, even in the classrooms where the question was not asked by any of the kids, there would have been sufficient conversation in the playground afterwards. Even if it was only one classroom that asked the question, that would just spread like wildfire. And again, 
they're working it out for themselves, yeah. you know, and they're owning it and creating conversation. That's that's powerful. Yeah. So um, I just want to go back to uh, your your observation about not handing, not delegating these sorts of important tasks and doing it yourself. And I'm reminded in my Air Force days, one of the things that uh, we used to say is you should never ask anybody to do something that you're not prepared to do yourself. Right. And so, yes, certainly delegation is efficient, but there's times where it can be not effective. Yes. And so uh, doing it yourself and, you know, Sister Rosemary, the principal. You know, I've seen it a couple of times, uh, actually as recent as this week. So I was over in Western Australia doing some work with a big resources company. I was there for a couple of days. The first day, for the first time, I met the CEO, a nice fellow, and his name's Nigel, and we had a good chat. Anyway, the next day, I'm in again. I have to sign in, as you normally do with these big companies. I'm sitting in the foyer, and I see Nigel come down out of the elevators, and he's walking out the, the front door. He turns around, and he sees me. I give him a bit of a wave, comes over. He says, oh, um, you know, do you need someone to sign you in? I said, oh, look, don't, no, it's okay, Nigel, you don't need to sign me. I said, no, 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 I'll sign you in. And so he took me over to the reception desk and signed me in, took me up to the level nine and got me in, in my location, found a chair and seat for me. The guy didn't have to do that. This is the CEO of a, a multi-gazillion, bazillion dollar company. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So it's those small See, charisma, things. Sean, that's that charisma. You've- is that what it is? <laughs> right, right. But my, I hear stories that this is when I when this happened. Of course, this was the little thing that was a Twitter in the in the conversation. You know, as I started my workshop, they started off by saying, "Oh, I hear you had an interesting person sign you in this morning." <laughs> right, that was the first thing that was said. So here it was, traveling through the organization, a reinforcement of what this CEO does all the time. Right, he's a management by walking around guy. You know, Tom Peters, remember that. So management by walking around, he's definitely one of those fellows. So I think this, this speaks volumes yeah. for people. Now, anything else? Where else would we tell it? Any other places apart from just helping leaders understand they've got to get out there and do this sort of stuff? Yeah, I guess for me, one of the key messages that I would tag this with in my story bank is it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It speaks volumes, doesn't it? Yeah. So um, ratings, ratings. So you told that story, so uh, I guess uh, I'm going to start with the yeah, ratings. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to confess, first of all, that I was lukewarm about this story when I first heard it. Yeah, yeah but that's and pretty typical of stories I tell. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and as we've unpacked it, I have uh, liked it more and more and more. And I'm going to give this one a 7 out of 10. Yeah, right, 7 out of 10. That's good. You know, I, I think it's one of those stories that if I was – Again, this is industry. If I had to go and speak to a group of teachers, I'd be pulling this story out. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? If I was talking... Oh, I used to uh, do a, a program here in Victoria for aspiring principals. Yeah. Right? And we ran that for a couple of years uh, here at the education department. And this would be a great story to tell them. It would inspire those yeah. people to do this sort of stuff, right? And there you go. It's another example of a pot- potential application of this story. Yes. Yeah. So I, I would give it a probably, I'm going to give it a seven and a half since we've moved to half points <laughs> recently. Yes, I set that, uh, set that, that precedent. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. Now, in terms of things that we need to let our listeners know just before we finish off here, that's our story for the day. Uh, anything that springs to mind for you, Mark? 
Oh, only just to remind people that if this does trigger any stories of your own, please, we'd love you to share them with, with the rest of the audience via our website. Uh, yep. And so if you just go to the podcast page of our, of our website uh, and share your own, your own stories, you never know. It might be appearing on a future episode of Anecdotally Speaking. Nice one. And just another thing to keep an eye out for, I just recently finished the audio book for Putting Stories to Work in terms of doing the, the recording. And I've just heard actually the final edit of the audio book. So it's kind of weird listening to your own voice because, you know, I had to sit for seven hours and read the story out. I mean, it's, um, it's quite an effort, I think, when you, I, now, I now have a, a new appreciation of just how bloody talented Stephen Fry is with oh, all those yes. Harry Potter books, right? But keep an eye out for that. But maybe you want to jump in and get a copy of Putting Stories to Work and sort of that way you have the written book. And soon you can have the audio book. So the two are out there. Well, guys, that was a little uh, plug there for the book. I hope you don't mind. But let's finish things off. So, yeah, it's great that uh, you come along and listening to Anecdotally Speaking with us today and tune in next time where we put more stories to work. Mm-hmm.